I'm Heidi Zuckerman. I've spent my life connecting people to art to make their lives better. This podcast talks about art in contemporary culture and why we should care. Each episode is an impactful conversation with people I find interesting and think you will too about their life, values, and always about why they think art matters. This is Conversations About Art. I think we meet people in such unique and innovative ways now. Sean Green and I connected originally on LinkedIn, and he reached out to me just because he was interested in what I was doing, and I found out that I was interested in what he was doing. And our conversation today touches a lot on that. I love the ideas of outsiders coming into the art world and then becoming insiders. So this podcast connects with an earlier podcast I did with Christian Luten of Avon Arte. I know you guys are really going to enjoy it, and we'll get to it right after this. I don't know about you, but I get most of my things done in the spaces between doing everything else. And I gravitate towards the things I can handle from an app on my phone. Kelly Klee Private Client Insurance believes that people with more to lose need better protection for what they cherish. I have insured not only my cars and homes with them, but also my personal art collection. They have an incredibly well-designed app that's not only aesthetic, but the user interface is superb. I can see each work in my collection and its currently insured value, as well as seamlessly and easily, literally from my phone, add new things as they're acquired. Insurance to me sounds like kind of a boring thing to talk about, but particularly in these uncertain times, I sleep way better at night knowing that the things I love are protected. So check out their website, kellyclee.com backslash Heidi. That's K-E-L-L-Y-K-L-E-E.com backslash Heidi. And they will make a $50 donation to Artadia, an art charity I've recommended for each qualified referral. These details are included in the show notes. Is there a piece of jewelry you would like to create? I'm excited to tell you about Best & Co, which offers a smarter way to acquire luxury jewelry. I wanted to create signet rings for each member of my family. Best & Co worked with me to create a custom design and fabricate the rings. We all love them. The rings are a daily and physical reminder of our connection, even when we're not together. Whether you want to reuse sentimental stones from a family heirloom or create a piece that you've been dreaming about, Best & Co. can help you create it, and their effective and efficient business model allows them to provide significant savings to their clients. Clients regularly save as much as 30% and frequently more when compared with purchasing comparable, high-quality pieces from traditional luxury jewelry retailers. So check out their website www.bestincoaspen.com and use discount code HEIDI2020 to receive 5% off of any item on Best & Co's website. I was just looking at it today and honestly there are a ton of things that I would like to use that discount code for. Also, if you're interested in creating a custom piece, you can email custom at bestincoaspen.com That's B-E-S-T-A-N-D-C-O ASPEN.com and mentioned that you heard about Best & Co on my podcast to receive the special discount. 
Sean Green is the CEO and founder of Arternal. Arternal helps art dealers better monetize their relationships. Born in Jamaica and raised in Toronto, Green has cultivated his entrepreneurialism since watching his mom run the family maid service. With a background in computer science, his previous startup connected homeowners to quality contractors. He and I discuss the business of art from the collector's perspective, the Wayfair ruling, caring about art surviving and thriving, entrepreneurial passion, his mom as a mentor, being a black founder in the art world, focusing on data, and how art is like medicine for your mind. Hey, Sean, how's it going today? Good, good. In the middle of a whole host of stuff. <laughs> yeah? Like, what yeah. kind of stuff are you doing? Um, I'm dealing with my lawyers. I'm dealing with investors. I'm dealing with clients. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm dealing with my babies. <laughs> like, I took my daughter to uh, preschool earlier and uh, then came back. <laughs> uh, and then back in it, back back in the heat of, uh, you know, art world and tech stardom. <laughs> what fiscal year do you use? Are you in the first quarter or are you in the fourth quarter right now? We're in the fourth quarter and the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was actually just on a call with the CEO of a, another kind of art and tech company, totally different space than yours, but right. um, also feeling the fourth quarter, you know, pinch and sprint and, you know, all of that. Right. Right, right, right. I totally get it. But, you know, the way how you end is the way how you begin. So I'm trying to sprint through the finish. (laughs) You think that's a metaphor for life, too? Oh, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always looking for the big picture. You know, I, um, I saw a friend's post the other day and he was, you know, with two other guys and and the the caption read, um, we came to chew some bubble gum and kick some ass and we're all out of bubble gum. And I was like. <laughs> so I guess what's next? <laughs> exactly. And, but I was thinking about that, right? Like also as a metaphor, you know, like what if we're all out of bubble gum, you know, like, and if we're all just here to do what it was that we actually came here to do. Um, rather than, you know, kind of like pussyfoot around what we said we were going to do, right? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Time to get down to business. Yeah, let's get it done. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to have you tell our listeners what your business is uh, and kind of go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, So we're Arternal. Uh, think of the word internal, but throw art in front of it or eternal and throw art in mm, front of it. Nice. Yeah. And uh, Arternal is a business automation tool uh, focused on the art dealers, galleries, uh, private sales in auction houses and in the auction house now more in general. Um, 
art fairs have recently come to the table and requested proposals and for us to be able to work with them. Uh, and we've got one fair that we're doing uh, in a couple weeks. Um, and in 2021, we'll be, we'll be creating like the first collector focused platform um, from the business of art, from the collector's perspective. And I feel like there's, there's a huge gaping hole there that we're excited to fill. Um, so yeah, we help art dealers, you know, understand their data because, you know, in today's day and age where you don't have in person, you're trying to figure out how to engage, when to engage your client. Our focus is being able to provide you with all the data necessary to make uh, better business decisions. And so by using that intelligence, you can drive through sales, even in the pandemic environment that we're in now. Last night at dinner, a friend of mine was talking about having just watched the social contract. Is that what it's called? The social dilemma? The, the social dilemma. Exactly. The social dilemma. And was talking about like the power of big data and how we don't even actually want what we want. Like we want what we're kind of encouraged to want. Mm -hmm. So are you working with big data or can you actually help our listeners, our listeners, since you're a tech guy, like understand the different types of data, like big data versus what would the other type be like small data? Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can look at it like that, or you can, ju you can just look at it in general as that, you know, it's, it's all data, whether it's small forms of it or large forms of it. I mean, you know, big data is typically like a lot of information, a lot of tables in, in, uh, in your, um, wherever you're storing it. Like if you, like we store our stuff in the cloud. So a lot of tables that are, you know, in the cloud or in your MySQL or whatever you're using to store your information. Um, and so it's, it's leveraging a lot of information and distilling it down to be able to understand how you can use it to, for whatever purpose that you're doing. If I need to drive people to a particular storefront or, or, or website, I want to be able to understand how I can leverage data to be able to do that. You know, if I want certain actions to be taken, you know, what, with, with certain features that I've built out, then I want to inform the user with certain data and present things on the screen in certain ways. Um, if I want to move or shift an election, then I have to understand deeply, like, what are these people engaging with on a regular basis? Um, how can we, how can we then look at that and allow them to find more people that are like them, right? <laughs> Which social, I think social dilemma gets into, in, into some of that stuff as well, right? So you can find your tribes um, and whether it's for positive or for negative, you know, uh, we all know what happened with the last <laughs> election, but, you know, data can be used for, for positive and for good, but it can also be used for a lot of negative, um, you know, like anything, like anything that can be created for good. There's always somebody looking to do something with adverse effects with it. I love the idea of finding your tribe and it, it sounds like your products are aimed really at, at, you know, a pretty specific community, which is the art world. And of course, they're kind of like micro communities within the art world and, and you, and many of them, and you mentioned one, which is collectors and developing a product that's aimed specifically at them and, 
and that nothing like that exists. What do you think some of the needs are for those those um, those members of that tribe um, that you guys are going to be able to offer? Yeah, without giving away everything, I'll give you some. Of, of it. course, <laughs> <laughs> nothing proprietary, just broad strokes. <laughs> um, you know the nobody's really focused on on the business of art from the perspective of the collector like if you look at who the collector has to deal with they have to deal with the gallery and sales staff they have to deal with the auction house and auction specialists they have to deal with museums and curators and consigning work they have to deal with insurance they have to deal with appraisers you know they have to deal with you know evaluate like how 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 is their collection performing you know over time and yeah and art, shippers and installers exactly right? right and some of them have uh individuals that you know uh, they consult to, to buy work with them some of them it's like an art advisor that they work with or a consultant that they work with and that's their full-time job and they also may have depending on how big the collection is they might have their own registrar that you know works on the collection so in order to be able to, to build a product for them, you have to understand the different engagements that they have with different stakeholders in the art scene and then be able to build for those interactions because there is data flow or information flow between you know those parties and the collector. And so how do you create a more seamless experience for them to be able to engage with each other? And you know, many people have focused on just collection management as if like, that's the only thing that a collector needs. It's kind of similar when we, you know, back in 2015, uh, we're trying to understand like, how does the internal work, uh, gallery function? Um, you know, we were used to seeing the white walls, but like what really goes on behind the scenes. And so pulling away at those layers and, and building product based on the business of art from the dealer's perspective. And we're taking that same focus and looking at the collector and seeing what are their needs and who is not serving them. And then us filling that gap. Super interesting. I was, when we talked kind of the first time I was asking you what it is that, that your company does and, mm-hmm. and thinking a little bit more about it, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if a, a big component of it is like a, a CRM. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because that's how we came into the art world. Um, we said we're going to be the number one CRM, which, you know, we're interesting, you okay. know, the only CRM or client relationship management tool that exists in the game. And we then said, well, we don't want to be known as like a CRM, we want to be known as this, this is the platform or tool, however you want to call it, that will help you run your entire art business. And it, operating from the lens of, of, you know, driving sales for dealers and building efficiency or, you know, the business of art from the dealer's perspective, that's what's very, you know, it's important to think about that. And what we say is like, we'll let dealers do the art business while we focus on the business of art so they don't have to. And so if you think about what we've recently launched, right, we've launched seamless QuickBooks integration. And anybody who knows how the 
back end of the galley functions, accounting is typically like organized chaos, right? Yeah. Or in some places it's chaos, chaos, right? Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you can build, and we're the only platform that is truly built seamless, one click sync to QuickBooks. Um, and when you see it, 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 it's impressive to people who work behind the scenes. And for us, it was also about, because again, we operate from the lens of looking at the art industry, you know, from the business of our perspective, you know, finances are key. And if you don't understand your finances, and if you don't understand how the businesses function in the hood, you can't make, you know, decisions that are going to benefit your business. And so when you look at like the Wayfair ruling that came out, you know, in the last 18 to 24 months, I was doing research like a year plus ago because I knew that this was going to affect art dealers and art dealers, you know, are, are that, that's where we started. That's our top client. And I did a lot of research of, with Rayfair. I got my team to do a lot of research on that Wayfair ruling and what, what the implications are for the dealer. And, you know, <laughs> dealers have to now track uh, every state almost every state there's still other states that are that are implementing this but for the for the majority of states they have to know what the transaction value and the transaction volume that they're doing in each state now again if you know how galleries function adding something else on top of the list of to-dos nobody will say yes I'm, i'm excited about that give me something else to track and organize and and allocate my time to right like no dealer wants to do that. So Plus, what are you doing? Is, yeah. yeah, particularly complicated, right? Because sometimes people invoice and they live in one state and then the work yep. is getting shipped to a different state and it might be going to a free port, right? That's correct. That's correct. And so because the dealer is now responsible for all shipping so that they can control all this stuff, uh, it adds another burden on them. So what we did was we built seamless Wayfair you know, tracking integration into their framework. And when you couple, you know, QuickBooks integration and and Wayfair tracking, so you understand when you're going to trigger Nexus in state and when you have to register in that state to pay and remit back the taxes, we do that. We take care of that all for you. So now end to end, when you look at our platform, you know, and you say Arternal, yes. Does it house a CRM? Yes. Does it house full-fledged inventory management? Yes. Does it also house business automation tools? Yes. Does it house all your data and your interactions, your intimate one-to-one interactions with your clients? Yes. Does it help you track that, understand? You can ditch your spreadsheets and like your folders in your email and all this stuff that bogs you down. Let's move that out of the way. And that's why we call business automation. Like we move that stuff out of the way. You know, when the artwork gets sold, it automatically sends an email to your entire team. So, so everybody's aware and communication is done. And then when you end that off with invoicing, and your invoice is tracking your Wayfair uh, obligations, and then you can one-click sync to QuickBooks. We help you get the Game job. Game changer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm just thinking about listening as I'm listening to all the things that it can do. Uh, I mean, it almost seems like a miracle, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, having having worked in a space where I know how many people it you know would take to do all these things before. So exactly. what's, what's the business model? Is this software that people acquire? Do you guys maintain it? How does that all work? 
Yeah, yeah. Maintenance is definitely key. You know, uh, our, we're a software as a SaaS business, so SaaS or software as a service, as they call it. Um, we're, it's a per user pricing per month. Um, and, and the focus for us is, you know, being able to continually upgrade the software. So that's why there's, you know, a monthly recurring fee. Um, and you don't have to worry about it because at the end of the day, you know, core competency for the gallery is, is, you know, selling work, building relationships, nurturing them and selling more work, uh, nurturing the artists, et cetera. Technology is not the core competency. So why even spend any energy there is, is what, you know, we, we kind of say to dealers and people, you know, our professionals in general. And so we want to ensure, you know, when we started, you know, we, you know, we're, at, we're, you know, we still have space at the, at the new museums incubator program, right. And, or new ink as it's called for short. And we saw the, the galleries on the lower east side of New York, um, you know, and, and, you know, smaller spaces, you know, sometimes run by one person or like, you know, two person, three person, four person, five person, or like these guys cannot compete with our, other clients, like now, today I say this, but back then we only worked with small calories. Right? But, you know, when you look at a Hauser and Berth, right, how, how does a small gallery compete with that? It's almost, it's virtually impossible. And they don't have the tools in order to be able to do so. And so our focus was let's provide the best tools, no matter what size gallery you are, because we want you to be able to operate effectively and efficiently with the largest players in the game by using, you know, a similar tool set. So that's really cool. So that is a, um, I don't, I mean, don't necessarily want to call it like a, you know, social justice approach to business, but, <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's empowering, right. You know, to be yeah. able to say that like everyone should have access to the same tools, regardless of, you know, their, the, the current position they hold or, you know, relative power, right? right. So exactly. how conscious, how conscious of a decision was that in, in the business strategy? Yeah, very conscious. I mean, you know, I, when I look at it, it's like, if you care about art surviving and you care about art thriving, business has to be on the other side of that thought process. And I care, like, I'm pa super passionate about the entrepreneur, right? And these dealers are, you know, artistpreneurs, right? <laughs> or, you know, artpreneurs, however you want to call it. And, you know, when you look at them, you're like, shoot, you know, they're offering this service to society, right? And how do you ensure that this still can happen, right? It's, it's, it's all we talk about. My co-founder, Steve Miller, he's an artist and, you know, we have, we like, we're, we're very tied to like, how do we keep this business going? How do we keep people engaging? How do we make sure that the small players who they're, they're the farm team, right? Like if you think of it, like with a sports analogy, if you don't have those, those farm teams, those smaller players, you don't have these art stars that come up through the ranks. Cause you, you have nowhere for them to grow and mature and evolve and then get snapped up by, you know, bigger players. So, it's an ecosystem thing for us and building tools for the ecosystem is what we're doing. How did you and Steve connect and how did you guys come up with, with your business? Yeah. Um, 
So, Steve, so one of our early small check writers back in like 2013 was like, you know, if, if you're going to do anything in the art world, Sean, because I was solo, <laughs> uh, like typical black founders, <laughs> you know, begin solo. Um, they, they were like, if you're going to do anything in the art world, you need to know Steve Miller. Uh, you know, he's heavily connected and, you know, knows a lot of people and, he, you know, you can have some great conversations. So Steve had like all of, you know, 15 minutes, I think, to meet with me on his way to the airport because uh, he had to fly to Paris for a show. And I love that. New York. Yeah. I'll give you 15 minutes. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he ended up being impressed by the fact that we were, fo- I was focused on data, right? That, you know, whatever, seven years ago. And I'm still heavily focused on data because I want dealers to have access to their own information and leverage it for business to drive their business. And Steve, like we're far, <laughs> we're, we're like not even close to what we are today. So he did a handshake deal to, to be, you know, a co-founder of mine. And, you know, we're seven years later um, and probably some less hairs uh, from on Steve's part. <laughs> we're, we're in this space where, you know, we're, we're the leading player, um, you know, for, for building tools and behind the scenes. And Steve uh, really gave me, you know, a lens into the art world that I didn't have and made introductions to people who, you know, didn't know me for nothing and, you know, help, help give me some, you know, early, super early, but, you know, the, it's the little validation, you know, interactions that get you to larger ones. You referenced the idea of black founders starting alone. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about the experience of being a black founder, both, you know, in art and in tech? Yeah, sure. What it's like, kind of the truth of that for you? Yeah. Um, so, you know, being like, being a founder in general is difficult. Um, being a black founder, when you look at it, you know, it, under 1% or 1% of venture capital goes to black founders, you know, 99%, you know, goes to, you know, your typical white male, et cetera. And it's if you can't raise capital uh, because you don't have access to resources or people, et cetera, to make introductions, you know, and there is no friends and family around, right? You have to find and network and interact with people to be able to find, you know, that round. It's not like I, I went to, you know, Stanford or, or Harvard or, or, you know, any of these, t- I, I, any of these schools or Ivy League schools where you know, my, my family was well off and I can get, you know, 50 grand from five different family members and have a quarter million all around, you know, I had to like get 12 grand right from like somebody who I met who was like, you should, you should continue as an entrepreneur and then find like 50 grand later and struggle to be able to do so. And, and, but you know, that's the plight of your, your average black founder. You come to the table with fully baked product or partially there in terms of, you know, a minimum viable product. And you sit in front of these investors and they start asking you if you know the black VC who's in Silicon Valley or, you know, this, you know, one VC or another. And you're like, well, do you ask your white founders if they know black VCs or you just yeah, ask? No kidding. Black, right. And, and it, yeah. it, it's, it's a very weird, you know, experience and whether it's done because they're consciously thinking about it. I just think 
they don't even think about it. Right? It's just, it's just where their brain goes. Um, and then, you know, being in the, in the art world, you know, I've had one of my friends um, who was, she was in VC, she lives in LA, was saying to me, she's like, you're a black guy raising venture capital, CEO of a tech startup in the art world. You're a unicorn. She's like, can you make it any more difficult on yourself? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, we're, we've got a mission that we're working on. And, you know, she she also was like, you know, she asked, you know, how, how was it being like a black, you know, founder in the art world? And, you know, I've had my trials. I've had, you know, you know, you you have instances where like there is racism that hits you and you're in. But the, the tricky thing there is like when you find yourself in a space where you're like, did that happen to me because I'm black? Or did that happen to me because this person just sucks as a person, right? And yeah, or both. Or both, right? And it's this, it's this, it's this weird thing that, you know, you know, black, you know, founders, black men, women, however you identify, have to deal with. And it's something that weighs on you throughout your entire life, right? Um, and you know, when you don't have to constantly ask yourself that question from your, you know, cognizant, like you're in your preteens, then you're in your teens, and you're in your, you know, you know, adulthood, you know, your your early adulthood, and then like your mid mid adulthood when you're still learning. When you when you have that burden on your mind. And, and your count, your white counterparts don't have that. You're like, wow, this needs therapy. But where is that therapy? Where is that conversation? So it's interesting. And so when I've had my bouts in, you know, in the art world, you just, you just, you know, internalize it and you keep going, right? You're like, let me just leverage the, the people who've been, you know, encouraging, the people who've propped me up, the people who've, you know, supported the cause, right? Um, and, and, you know, that those are, that's what I rely on. That's my therapy. Have you had mentors? Yeah. Um, <laughs> my Jamaican mom is like, her name is Beryl Green. Uh, I love, I love it when people say they're moms. I'm just saying, I know it's <laughs> interesting, but like total props to anyone who credits their mom because moms like work harder than anyone. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, like my mom started a maid service when she, you know, was in Toronto and which she's currently still living there. And, you know, I was following her. I was cleaning toilets, cleaning bathrooms, you know, from like preteen, you know, onwards. And she put us through private high school, you know, just saving her pennies. And, and, and she, she taught me a lot. Um, you know, she showed me what hard work is. She showed me what determination was. She gave me a lens into the other world because she was cleaning the homes of white professionals, you know, doctors, lawyers, dentists, physicians, judges, etc. And so, you know, that was a whole new lens for me. I got to see, you know, a lot of things um, that, you know, I was only privy to because of my mom's efforts and what she wanted to achieve for her children. And, you know, she showed me what striving to, you know, achieve something is. She showed me what patience is. She showed me what family is. You know, I've got three kids and she, 
you know, she's, she's shown me what that is, um, you know, and, and how to deal with it and how I should spend my time, um, and, you know, how to respect people, you know, and how to nurture relationships, which is, you know, I guess it's, that's why I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> I could go on and on about my mom, but, you know, uh, she's been a huge, you know, huge mentor to me. Did you see art in these homes? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it's funny because I, I, I didn't, never really thought about it at all, but I, I can, I can see like growing up, like my mom, like I would see artwork, you know, you know, old, like it looked like old masters, you know, work yeah. I can think in my head right now. Um, and I just had like, like these golden frames that are very like meticulously done mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. in my head. And so, you know, I didn't really go to museums until later, you know, like high school, um, you know, and later in high school. Um, and you could see those same style frames and, you know, you can draw it back to like me recognizing that as like, you know, a kid. Yeah. And something that has value right? yeah. and something that, that makes a home. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hmm. And so I get a lot of my like, like black founder friends, um, you know, to kind of either inspire or bring more of them into the art world and help them understand like, you know, what this is. What, what, in addition to this would, would be your early experiences with art? How did you, how did you find your way to art? Um, into like I like down the rabbit hole of like being almost a decade into creating software that that way <laughs> uh, yeah however you tell that story, <laughs> I'm super curious about it yeah so like one of my friends uh named Zaina uh she was she was moving from her corporate gig to becoming like an artist full-time and I thought that was the wildest thing ever I was like what I was like my immediate like gut reaction was like, how are you going to pay your rent? Like, like, that's what I thought. And she was just well, like, I'm certainly, I'm sure it came from a place of caring, right? Yeah. So. That's, that's, that's where it came from. I was just like, I was, you know, is is like empathetic. I was at empathy and I was just like worried. And she was like, you know, you, sh- you should come check on my studio. And I was just like, sure. And I set up time and, I get into her studio and it wasn't a big place, you know, it was, it was small, tiny. And I'm looking at the work that she created and I was just like, somebody's gonna come in here, buy this and, 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 and you're gonna be all right. And I was like, super baffled, but incredibly intrigued. And I was like, can I come back here with my entrepreneur hat on? and like ask you a bunch of questions. She's like, yeah, sure. So I did a few days later and I wanted to basically build software that would allow her to survive one, but also um, for artists in general and to drive it. I was building sort of like Yelp meets uh, the art world for artists so that you can like search artist studios find their locations, you know, favorite them, and then be able to visit no matter what city you're in. So that was the, that was the vision. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't end up seeing it out, but 
and we pivoted, you know, a year after we, we, we broke code on it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I got, like, that was my first like real foray into the art world through the, through the lens of the artist. And then I continued to follow my curiosity. Did you buy her work? I did not buy her work. We, I just kept researching. <laughs> we were just researching. I did not buy her work at that particular time. I'm like, did I even Interesting. have money? Like, did I even have money to buy her work? Is like what I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, but do you collect art now? Now I'm slowly starting a collection. Slowly. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love like it's. There's so much that I see now, and my 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 tastes have improved so much in like just in terms of what I look at and how I understand the market from a whole different lens. Um, but I got an art like I got an artist named David Leggett uh, in my collection. Um, he showed I, he shows at various small fires uh, in Los Angeles. Um, I think he also we shows at Esther Shane. on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, nice, awesome. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Uh, love Esther. Um, I think she. I think he also shows at uh, Shane Campbell in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Will so you describe the work that you have? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He has comedy in his in his in his work, um, and so there's this there's this black clown, and then this kind of like rocker white dude. And the clown is like telling you, know, you know, you know, when those jokes go, it's like, and, and then I said, you know, like that sort of deal. Yes. So the clown was like, and then I said, can't we all just get along? And like, and, 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 and that's, that's all it says. Right. And so you can infer so much from that and like the black clowns experience and him telling this like rock or white dude, you know, how, how it went down in whatever house he was in, you know, trying to keep people, you know, entertained. Um, but yeah. And it just, there, there's some, there's a comedic element in there. There's, there's, there's race in there. There's, you know, relationship in there, you know, there's a lot, and there's like deep, a lot, you know, more deep stuff. Um, yeah. Heaviness you know, too. Right. Yeah, Rodney yeah. King. And I mean, like, yeah. Right. Yeah, sorts yeah. Of, yeah. And then I said, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I saw, I was just like, I gotta have this work. I have to have it. Cause there's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> How big is it? It's, I think it's like 12 by 10 or 14 by 10, something like that. Okay. And I have a fat EB piece cause she's just like, her drawings are just great. I don't know if you know. It's like a, a, her. I may butcher her name, but it's like Ebeko uh, Muslimova. Uh, her drawings are great. Um, one of my one of my dear friends, uh, Kathleen, um, and her husband Paul are they're just amazing people. Advisors of mine, um, it, you know. <laughs> you know, Kathleen is 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 a uh, you know she she she's in the art world as a you know advisor consultant, but also like doing a whole bunch of you know other things. Um, and her husband, you know, it's pure tech, so 
like having conversations with them. It's always fun over wine <laughs> and, and, and bourbon. Um, but like she showed, she first, I heard her mention the work. And as I, you know, I'd seen it at art fairs, me and uh, my wife were at an art fair and we're just like, I think we're, I think it was Miami, Basel, Miami, like 2018 maybe. And we picked up the work, something like that. That's awesome. Yeah. And are your kids too young to notice the art? Uh, well, they, I mean, my daughter has like, I mean, my daughter has pictures with like Ai Weiwei. He told her to sit on his stools, you know, in LA at Jeffrey Deitch's. Um, she's okay. got pictures with like Jeff Koons. <laughs> like, I mean, when she was young, I mean, she's three and a half now. So I have, I have two younger daughters mm-hmm. and, an, and an older son. Um, but yeah, my younger daughters, I mean, they've been they're they're submersed in in art like they 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 get it they see it they you know they she, they're entertained by it <laughs> yeah they're they're fully immersed so i asked you about the mentors that you've had and you talked about your mom and and you know you talked to about wanting to encourage you know like other black entrepreneurs to come in the art world do you do you have people that you mentor? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, so I mentioned the New Museums Incubator um, program. Uh, I'm a part of their mentors uh, for for this year's cohort. It's you know now it's it's in a uh, you know distributed you know cohort <laughs> because we're doing it on Zoom. Um, but yeah, so I mentor there. Um, I'm looking forward to, this is my first year mentoring there actually, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, That's cool. So you came out of the program and now you're giving back to the program. Yeah, definitely. 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 And, um, you know, really excited about that. I think you, you get so much from like, there's two things. You learn so much about yourself and like what knowledge you have um, from mentorship. And then, you know, the, the impact that you can have and by, by providing, you know, stories about your experience to other people and making networks. Like I'm a big believer that your, your net worth is your network. And so, you know, I'm like an open book there, like in terms of making connections and as many people that I can introduce, you know, it's what it's about. And so, you know, mentoring, you know, founders that like to collect, you know, and, 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 you know, helping provide an eye or providing, you know, commentary, um, or introductions, you know, to dealers, et cetera, um, is also very, you know, important for me. Um, being able to mentor founders as well is also key. And I do a lot of that, um, you know, try and make time, uh, as much as I can for any founder who, you know, is looking for advice, um, and, and what they need to do. Um, now I'm like a lot, you know, focused on black founders as well, you know, because they, it's just needing to understand the environment. Um, but yeah, I meant, I mean, I mentor like a lot of different founders, not just black founders, but you know, now I've been doing as much as I can to help black founders get to the next level. You and I are on clubhouse together and, and we're uh, co-moderating room sometimes. Yep. yep. And I'd love you to just talk a little bit about Clubhouse because I don't know how many of our listeners know what it is. And, and one of the things that I'm enjoying about it and, and I'm curious, you know, what you think too, is the possibility of just talking to people all over the world and yeah. um, 
you know, it's anonymous in a certain way because, you know, you can't see people and you don't know like where they are or what they're doing, but <laughs> everyone uses, you know, their real name and, and right. a real photograph. Um, so, yeah. you know, there's kind of a truth to it, which I think is important. And, and from my perspective, uh, it's not that everyone agrees on everything, but mm-hmm. you, know, you don't have people kind of trolling, I think, right. uh, yeah. because, you know, you know who people are. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You don't have the, the, the real trolls in there, uh, even though people try. <laughs> um, but yeah, Clubhouse is, is very interesting. It's, 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 you know, origination in Silicon Valley. Um, uh, there it's, you know, it has been and still is, you know, it's insider app, you know, where, you know, the entertainment, sports, uh, you know, comic, comedians, uh, uh, Hollywood, um, and now the art world uh, are congregating inside, and it's it's voice only interface, no texting, um, no video, and it's a really interesting experience because you're you know if if you get they have you know you have a, a moderator and you can be in the audience in any one of these rooms, and people can create rooms and uh, have different titles for the room. And if you see a title that matches something you're either interested in or want to talk about, uh, you can actually pop into the room and uh, you can easily, they have a leave quietly button. So it lets you know that you can feel free to pop in and out of rooms. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, you can find communities of, of, of like people and like, like-minded conversation, or you want to dig deeper or learn more or engage more you can um you can raise your hand in there and and be and and participate in a conversation what's interesting and i heard this in there and i thought of this to myself is like if you're in a room with 200 people you know you may have a little bit of butterflies or anxiety or something like that or you know which could be good good energy you know to be able to to deliver you know a conversation in front of um but it doesn't feel like that when you're in clubhouse. If like you know, it depends on what room that you could. It feels like you know you're 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 just talking into your phone. <laughs> and there are people who are around, but you don't really check how many numbers are in there. Um, and you know, when you miss networking the way how I do in that like real in person networking, and you're going to a conference and people are building businesses and doing cool things, and you're like oh, I can help you do this. And they're like, oh, you need to meet this person. Like missing that a lot. I find that in Clubhouse, which has been like, and, you know, gives me energy. It's like, you know, exciting. Um, and, and you know, I was speaking to one of my founder friends early on this morning. Uh, well, super early. It was like four in the morning. <laughs> and, and she was, she was like, do you miss travel? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I so miss travel. Like so miss it. And, you know, Clubhouse allows you to talk to people who are all over the place, like in, in Europe, in Africa, in, you know, Asia, <laughs> Canada, North America. It's so, you know, it, it just, it, it fulfills these spontaneous interactions that, yeah, I know the art world thrives on and, and I thrive on. So, and, you know, that's what's cool about uh, engaging Clubhouse. Yeah, I think so too. And you're right. You know, when you're talking, no one else can talk, which is also pretty interesting. So while you're talking, there's silence and Mm -hmm. that feels different too. You know, Mm -hmm. like a lot of times people kind of talk over each other or, or whatnot. And 
I don't know if it's the person that's, you know, moderating or however it works. And there is sometimes like, like who's going to talk first or a little interruption or whatever, but people aren't really talking over each other. Right. And that exactly. feels so like filled with grace, I think, yeah. particularly right now. And that's maybe my favorite part of it. Yeah, no, that that's a really great point because um, you, you really provide the floor for somebody. And you, you know, there's some really honest conversations that are, that I've that I've been a part of and that I've just been a fly on the wall. That's also cool as well. You can just be a fly on the wall in a conversation, be privy to what's happening and learn a lot, whether you believe it or you're against it or you're for it, it's learning. Yeah. A few years ago, I did a show on ritual and I spent like a year asking everyone what's the one thing they do every day, every day that they most look forward to. And what's the one thing that they do every day that they most dread. And Mm -hmm. then I stopped doing it, but I've been doing it sometimes on the podcast. So that's my, that's my next uh, thing that I want to ask you about (laughs) rituals and, and if there are things you do every day that you look forward to, and that also things that you do that, that you don't look forward to or that you dread. Yeah. Um, I actually like my, as you can imagine, my days are like (laughs) insanely, insanely busy and And long and long. And the only time that I actually have to myself, um, solely is when I'm, as I call it, when I'm getting wet (laughs) or when I'm in the shower. Totally. Yep. (laughs) And, and, you know, I like to meditate. I like to say a morning prayer. Um, and, you know, just just think about life, what I want to accomplish, family, good vibes, and get the day started, you know, in this like serene way, because I love water, <laughs> especially warm water. <laughs> um, and it's just like, you know, calming. And that is like, I love, I love, I love starting my mornings like that. Um, and it just gives me everything I need to like conquer the day. Um, and then, you know, spending time with like my daughters or FaceTiming my son, um, you know, is, is, uh, you know, what I love to another thing, you know, if you want to call that a ritual, but, you know, being able to have, you know, these moments, cause I'm so busy. Um, fortunately my wife like <laughs> helps me out a lot, but, you know, being able to, uh, spend time, um, and then, you know, uh, and, and the day with like, you know, a conversation, um, with my wife or, you know, that, that those things, whether you, you want to call that ritual for me, it's like, it, it, it has to be built in or, or it, it like, it just doesn't really happen. <laughs> um, and then things that, I don't like or don't like to do, I don't like raising capital, but it's a rite of passage. Yeah. yeah. Um, and most founders, I think, you know, share some semblance of what I share about it. Um, but it's like, it can be soul sucking, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, you have to go through a lot of no's, right? You, you you just do you go through a lot of no's um and it can break you down if you let it um 
So you got to make sure that you have something to balance on the other side of it. Um, but it's super exhausting. Um, and it's not something that I like to do, but you, you know, if you want to build something big, um, you got to go out there and find the capital. So yeah, <laughs> that I think, I think, you know, can't really think of anything else. I don't like, uh, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. I try and find the positive in you know, whatever I'm doing. Yeah. That's a really honest answer. And, you know, I, I actually am probably one of the few people that loves raising money. And I think it's probably different, you know, raising money for uh, an institution, you know, not for profit than Mm -hmm. for an endeavor where you're, you know, the founder, but I, I get kind of energy. I get a lot of energy from it. Um, It's like a high for me, you know, like, like running a race or, you know, exercising really hard or, but I remember um, Lance Armstrong was a board member of mine uh, Mm -hmm. at the Aspen Art Museum and he offered to help raise money with me. And the very first ask that we went on, the person said no. And I was like devastated because I thought like, oh, now he's not going to want to do it with me. And, you know, and I said like, oh, I'm so sorry that one, you know, we didn't get that one. Um, I hope you're that won't dissuade you from doing other ones. And he was like, are you kidding me? Like I've been rejected before. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I have too. Right. And your, your skin gets thick, you know, thicker um, as we go. And, and, um, and, you know, I've gotten to the point where, um, you know, if someone doesn't see it as an opportunity to be a part of something that matters, then that's totally okay. That's their choice. And yeah. frankly, in my, in my opinion, it's their loss. So yeah, so true. But Very yeah. true. But not, not easy to remember that all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> so Sean, why do you think art matters? Um, art matters because it's a reflection for me, like it's a, it's a reflection of like society and like what's going on and it's capturing it. It's culture and like culture is incredibly important, right? It, it frames who we are and how we engage and how we interact and what we do and what we eat. Um, and I think art, art's a major part of that. Um, I hadn't been in an art gallery for a while because of COVID and everything like that. And when I, when I finally got back in, I think I mentioned it like in one of, in one of our conversations in clubhouse, I was just like, I felt like I was getting a piece of me back. <laughs> like, like it was like re- regenerative or re- restorative, you know, um, being a being in a room filled with like large canvases and, and painting and, and, and artwork. And I feel like that, you know, it's like medicine for your mind. Um, and, you know, I've never, I was never a fan of, of history um, at any part, you know, in my life. But when I, had to, when I had to learn it from a textbook, it was like the driest way for me to learn, you know, about the past. But it's so amazing to learn history through art. And I just, I eat it up. It's like everything. I get like so excited when, when I get to learn something and how it was affected, um, you know, by history. Uh, and so for me, um, and the fact that I can learn about history through art is another important re- reason why I think it matters. Do you want to end with any advice 
for our listeners about anything that matters to you? I like, I think I would say, I mean, time matters to me. <laughs> um, I was told that, you know, earlier on in, in my startup journey, um, as a founder, like time is your most important resource that you have and be very, very careful who you share it with and how you ration your time because you never get it back. And so I guess that's what I'll part with time. Yeah, that's true. You know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of resources that can be replenished. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just not one of them. Yeah. Thank you so much for making the time to talk with me today. I am just really enjoying getting to know you and um, talking and, and working on things. Yes, likewise. Definitely. Definitely. It's been great. And I appreciate you and your time and, and bringing me on here to, to chat. Awesome. Okay. Be well and talk soon. Thanks a lot. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye now. Conversations About Art is part of HiZ.Art, a multi-platform project that connects all to art through a podcast series, books, talks program, brand collaborations, TV, and more. This episode was produced by Simon Illa. Our theme music was composed by Eric McDougall. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review us on whichever platform you listened, as it helps us further our goal of connecting all to art. We will be back again every Tuesday with new episodes. Thanks so much for listening.